I'm Megan. I'm Christy. And I'm Auntie B. And we are Homebrew Crew. You're listening to a Murder Crew Micro Brew. Please enjoy responsibly. Everybody, we're coming Welcome to, to remo- another episode of Homebrew Murder. We're coming to you remotely today because two of us have COVID. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it could be three of us. I haven't tested. It could you be. Never know. Could, well, if that was the case, then we could all be together. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Yeah, remember um, I told you to go try to catch COVID, Megan. Yeah, so, man. I tried. I licked a bunch of people today. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't lick anybody. <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah. So um I'm just been sitting here in my cesspool of COVID for the last four days. And it's just been lovely. Yeah, I have just introduced it to my world. So I'm figuring it out as I go. So thanks again for joining us for another episode. Um, we've got a little bit of news in the true crime world. Um, you guys we can take it back to our very first episode, yeah. Yes. Megs, you uh you actually oh. saw the um the update on that on the news, yeah? I did see that on the news. Actually, my sister sent it to me this first thing this morning when I woke up at five thirty in the morning. She sent me the what article. A wonderful thing to wake up to. I know, right? So Alan Scheibach, who murdered his uh common law wife, Lisa, um what's her last name again? Mitchell. Sorry, Lita Mitchell is going to be released from prison on the 11th. That's wild. Yeah. So he's still released. 10 years, right? Yep. Yeah. For the murder of Lisa, he's, you know, he got, yeah, he's just getting released. His time is up. He did his time. Yeah. So for those of you, if you're, if you haven't gone back to our first episode, that was the disappearance of Lisa Mitchell. And um, I mean, I don't want to give a spoiler or anything, but. I mean, spoiler, he murdered his wife, her common-law um, wife. And, uh, yeah, he's going to be released. Do you think he's got some conditions of his release that he has to adhere to? Like, no drugs, no alcohol. Um, he has to um, report any romantic relationships, which, I mean, these were all conditions of his parole before that he broke anyways. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh boy. Well, today you guys are bringing you um a case that's it's going to be a little shorter because I've just been obviously a little under the weather weather weather. Um so hopefully we can get some good dialogue going on it. Do we have any more news before I start? I mean, there's all the crime in Calgary and homes. Oh, yeah. I was going to say I'm that. Probably, but also everywhere in Canada because you also have that son that, you know, killed and dismembered his mom and put her in a garbage bag in toronto <laughs> that was yeah 
That was only a few days ago. There's also um, the man that was suspect in the Lucas Stresser Heard swarming death years ago outside a nightclub. He's um, unlawfully at large right now. Oh, well. really? So, yeah. I didn't know Oh, that. I didn't read that article, but I saw it. Yeah, so a lot of crazy stuff going on uh, in the great white north here. Crazy. Yeah, I'm almost a little happy that I'm, like, confined to my house right now. <laughs> you know, hey? <laughs> I just saw your dog's butthole. Uh, uh, oh, <laughs> Sorry! <laughs> I didn't realize he was in here. <laughs> Chester, I saw your butthole. So yeah, I guess that's uh, that's true crime news for you. So yeah. the case I am bringing you guys tonight is, um, I don't know, I, it's not one that we've ever talked about before. So we'll see if you guys are familiar with it. Um, now, it is a little bit shorter because, like I said, I've been under the weather, obviously, with the COVID. Um, so hopefully we can get some good dialogue going. But um, if not, then you guys just, our, our uh, listeners just get a little bit of a shorter episode, um, which is totally fine. But well, we definitely wanted to. We got two of us that don't feel very good, but we yeah. have the capability to still get together and do this like this. And Exactly. Yeah. This is our passion part project, right? It's yeah. important that we we do this for ourselves too absolutely this is i mean it's so nice to see your ladies faces tonight so and i've missed you guys all right are you guys ready i'm ready i am bringing I'm you ready. tonight the unsolved case of the icebox murders Ooh. Oh. takes okay. a sip of her wine <laughs> 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 well, that's okay. Fred Christopher Rogers is 81 years old. He was born January 19th, 1884. And Edwina Ivor Rogers, 72. She was born October 8th, 1892. So this um, unfortunate incident occurred on June 23rd, 1965. Um, so Fred and Edwina, they were a quiet couple that lived in the Montrose neighborhood of Houston, Texas. And Fred was a retired real estate man. Um, so on June 23rd, 1965, the elderly couple's 56 year old nephew, Marvin had contacted police requesting a welfare check be done on his aunt and uncle because he hadn't heard from them in a couple of days. All his calls were going unanswered. Um, so two Houston police officers, Houston police captain Charles Bullock and his partner L.M. Barta, they headed over to the home at 1815 Driscoll Street. So their knock uh, on the door was met with silence. So the two police officers went around to the back of the house. Now they found like a makeshift barricade of flower pots obstructing the back door, which is a uh, suspicious. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it made Bullock suspicious. So um, upon entering the home by way of force, knocking through these pots and everything, uh, Bullock later recalls something quote, just didn't feel right. End quote. Although police found nothing unusual when they first entered the premises but they did notice food sitting on the dining room table and I mean I don't mean like last night's dinner I mean like food that should otherwise be in the fridge and it's not so like I mean going bad or probably bad. I mean yeah. probably yeah so 
Officer Bullock opened the refrigerator, again, later recalling that he, quote, didn't know why he looked in the refrigerator. For some reason, he just opened it, end quote. And I'm going to assume that one stark reason why you might be inclined to look in the fridge is because all the food that should be in there is sitting outside of the fridge. So let's go ahead and open that fridge, see what the hell is going on here. So he found what appeared to be numerous cuts of washed, unwrapped meat neatly stacked on the shelves. And oh, the officer, yeah, the officer later recalled that he thought it, that the meat was just like a butchered hog. So as the officer was closing the door, he noticed a human head visible through the clear glass of the vegetable crisper bin at the bottom of the refrigerator. Oh, I knew that's where this was going. Suggesting a head. Oh my God. Yeah. That's where you put your head of lettuce, honey. Yeah. Not, not your literal heads. <laughs> but <I'm... laughs> Right? Uh, the heads were, uh, sorry, the head was of Edwina Rogers. What the officer initially thought was unwrapped cuts of hog meat were the dismembered limbs and torso of Edwina. And police immediately put a bolo out for Fred Rogers as they have some questions to ask him regarding his wife's dismembered body in the refrigerator. Clearly. Just a few questions. <laughs> Just a few questions. Yeah, we'd like to speak to you on this matter, sir. So almost immediately after the bolo is issued, police began to realize, wait, there's way too many cuts of meat and limbs in this fridge for it to be just one person so they soon discovered the head of fred in the other vegetable drawer (sighs) now they realize that their first suspect is actually their second murder victim so days later after the grisly discovery of Fred and Edwina's dismembered bodies in the fridge of their home, the community began dealing with some sewage backups. Police later discovered the couple's organs in a nearby sewer. The specimen recovered was tested and it was said to contain human tissue, lung, and fat. The organs had been removed, cut up, and flushed down the toilet. What? That's disgusting. Yeah, by way of how sewage drains through sewer systems um, in some fashion or another. I mean, I'm no sewage expert here, but um, (laughs) in a ditch in the 6200 block of Hardy Street, a separate officer had discovered long segments of trachea and intestines that were infested with maggots. Ew. (laughs) As as maggot goes to take a sip. Yeah. Ugh, gross. So lovely. We're off to a great start here. Mm-hmm. So police determined that Fred and Edwina Rogers had been killed on June 20th, uh, Father's Day. An autopsy showed that Fred was bludgeoned to death with a claw hammer. His eyes had been gouged out and his genitalia were removed. Edwina had been beaten and shot execution style in the head. So whoever did this had taken their time and they kind of knew what they were doing um, because the police further said that the bodies were dismembered in the bathroom by a person, quote, with some knowledge of anatomy, end quote. There's little blood in the house. Like whoever did this did a very good job of cleaning up the house. Um, And what little blood was found actually led to Charles's bedroom. So Charles is their son that lives with them at the time. We're going to get into to Charles. 
So there, police found a blood-stained keyhole saw, but no trace of Rogers himself, Charles Rogers. There's no sign of forced entry to the house. All the blinds have been shut, doors and windows locked. Neighbors couldn't even pinpoint when they last saw the couple alive, only that it hadn't been that week. So a bolo was then issued for the couple's son, Charles Rogers, who lived with them at the time. Um, Now, Charles is 43 years old. Again, we're going to go into some of his background here. But they issued the bolo for Charles um, because was he another victim of the heinous crime who's missing from the scene? Because it seems like somebody killed this entire family. So if he lives with them, is he another victim that's been removed since removed from the house? Or maybe he's a material witness who can provide detectives with some answers on what happened to his parents. Or perhaps Charles has become the next number one suspect today. I hate his crime. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. I got a quick question. Yeah. <clears throat> Just for those of us who don't know, what do, what does BOLO stand for? BOLO is be on the lookout. So basically they issue a be on the lookout for this person. They'll give a description um, as, as much as they can of, okay. of the individual, um, of what they suspect that this person could be driving. Um, a lot of times you'll see BOLOs on like Amber Alerts too, yeah. um, when we get those that come through and a bolo for a type of vehicle, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, it's a um <laughs> should have gave you all a trigger warning, but we don't really do those here. <laughs> no. We, have, we, we just jump right in. We did forget to tell you all to get uncomfortable. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Forget. Yeah. So yes. I think because we've been living uncomfortably for the last few days, it's so yeah, there. Exactly. <laughs> So I wanted to touch just a little bit more on the autopsy. Um, So I had mentioned that um, they suspect the claw hammer to be used. Uh, Fred was bludgeoned to death and then Edwina was bludgeoned and she had a gunshot wound um, because it looked like she was shot execution style. So Fred's cause of death was fractured skull homicide, so blunt force trauma. He suffered 10 blows to the skull, mostly around the front of the face, um, which kind of aided in this individual being able to remove his eyes. Uh, yeah, just because it just softened the orbital sockets or whatever you want to call it. eyeballs hurt. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, and his genitals were removed. Uh, wow. Po- his genitals were removed post-mortem. Um, now, Edwina's cause of death was a gunshot wound to the temporal area of the skull, uh, there was blunt force trauma to the face, but that wasn't the cause of death, although the claw hammer was used on her as well. So her cause of death was the gunshot wound to the head. So two different causes of death, which is, you know, kind of strange because it kind of makes you think like, okay, is there two suspects because there's two different causes of death? Um, it's it's kind of strange. So it kind of had their, like their heads spinning a little bit here. Mm-hmm. And also police weren't even sure that the murders actually happened in the home because, okay, Edwina's got a gunshot wound to her head, but no neighbors in the area heard a gunfire. So did the deaths happen somewhere else? And then they were brought to the home and dismembered, but that seems like really messy too. So have used a silencer. That's right. What's up, Brittany? Was there any blood spatter? No, everything was cleaned up. There was only that little trace blood that they found uh, that led to Charles' bedroom. Yeah. So now we're going to get just a little bit into the family dynamic here. So 
Fred and Edwina, they had two children. Um, Charles was their son, but they also had a daughter, Betty, and she actually died in a car crash in 1929 during a family vacation. Uh, There's not much I could find on her, but um, the whole family, I mean, as far as Fred, Edwina, and Charles are concerned, um, it was pretty hostile dynamic. The three, Fred, Edwina, and Charles, they're reported to not have gotten along very well, and it's reported that they were extremely rude to one another, and at most times just downright shitty to each other uh fred and charles really hated one another and they hadn't liked each other for a very long time and it suggested that fred was abusive physically verbally and emotionally to charles like throughout charles's entire life so it seems like edwina didn't get along with either of them either but she was more or less somewhat caught in the middle of everything and charles didn't speak with his parents but if he had to speak with one of them it would be his mom if he had to. And by 1965, Charles was unemployed and living with his elderly parents, Fred and Edwina. So he was described as a recluse and he was reported to have communicated with his parents primarily by way of notes slipped under the door. <laughs> like, I don't know. Okay. I, my stepsister, Heather, rest in peace. I remember when we were young and we'd get in fights and she'd be in her room, I'd be in my room. And when we're kind of getting ready and sussing out, is it time to like make up and get over this? We'd be sliding notes under each other's door just to kind of feel it out, right? Kind yeah. <laughs> of get our apologies up that way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, pretty wild. So neighbors were not even aware that Rogers even lived with his parents because he generally left the house before dawn and then he didn't return home until after dark. God knows what he's doing. He's unemployed. So I'm just going to ask, like, what are you doing that whole time? No idea. No idea. So in the 1997 book, The Icebox Murders, written by forensic accountant Hugh Gardner and his wife, Martha, it said that the Gardners believed that Charles was emotionally and physically abused as a child and as an adult by his father, which, you know, if we are suspecting that Charles is the culprit here and he, he is the one that murdered his parents, I mean cutting off his father's genitals on father's day might confirm that a bit (laughs) (laughs) just a little bit just a little bit yeah and the gardeners believe that rogers planned the murders of his parents for years because his father was abusive and both parents were actually um thought to be devious con art con artists based on the gardeners uh research so according to them Fred worked as a bookie who regularly engaged in illegal activities like gambling and fraud. And they believe he continued abusing Charles into adulthood and even began stealing large sums of money from him. Now the Gardeners claim that after Rogers killed and dismembered his parents, he fled the U S from Mexico and was never found because he was said to be aided by quote, powerful friends end quote that he met through his ham radio hobby and if you guys don't know what a ham radio is, like old school, basically, you have your radio and you can tune in to different stations and, and talk to other people, right? Yeah. Now, he had this hobby while he was working various oil and mining companies. And they have theorized that Rogers eventually made his way to Honduras, where they think that he was killed over a wage dispute with miners. Now, I say miners, like people that mine coal and other 
thing. It's not minors as an underage people. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for the clarification. I like how sometimes we do this. I feel like you're talking to me just because you know I mix up my words all the time. Windchill, windchill. <laughs> windchill doesn't feel that cold. <laughs> oh my God, you kill me, Brit. <laughs> Now, a side note, in October 2003, Redbud Publishing, Redbud Publishing, sorry, released The Icebox Murders, a novel written by the Gardeners. And according to a review in the Houston Press, quote, The Icebox Murders is written as fact-based fiction and supposition. There are many unnamed characters in the book. Various politicians and attorneys, as well as an eyewitness who said he saw Rogers in Honduras after 1965, end quote. Publishers Weekly also referred to the novel as fact-based fiction. So what I'm trying to say is take from all that what you will and take it with a grain of salt. It's fact-based fiction. We don't really know. Okay? Yeah. So we'll get into a little background on Charles. So Charles. 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 Charles Frederick Rogers was born on December 30th, 1921. And he enrolled at Texas A&M University in 1942, but he later dropped out. He then enrolled at the University of Houston, where he earned a Bachelor of Science degree in nuclear physics. During World War II... Charles was a pilot in the United States Navy and also served in the Office of Naval Intelligence. And after the war, he worked as a seismologist for Shell Oil for nine years. And Shell is like a huge oil company, right? Massive. Yeah. Uh, He abruptly quit his job in 1957 without giving an explanation. So what's going on, Charles? Friends and associates of Charles later said that he was highly intelligent and had a talent for finding gas, oil, and gold for the companies for which he worked. He also spoke seven languages and had an interest in ham radios, as we said. In the mid-1950s, Rogers joined the Civil Air Patrol, where he reportedly met David Ferry, who is an alleged conspirator in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Okay, I have a quick question. Are you saying... Ham radio or ham, ham, ham. like ham. like ham, like, <laughs> like ham the meat, and like meat. Yeah, not the meat that they found in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> ham. Okay, I was like, I am hearing that right, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you might roast a nice ham for Easter dinner. Mm. Ham radio. Yeah. Oh yeah. So now we're going to jump in to some allegations of involvement in the assassination of JFK. So this kind of, the story is kind of going all over the place here. Okay. Just a little bit. So Charles's life was documented in 1992. Sorry. His life was documented in the 1992 book called the man on the grassy knoll by John R. Craig and Philip A. Rogers. Um, Now I don't believe that this Philip A. Rogers has any relation to the Rogers family that's involved in this case. But according to this work, Rogers, Charles Rogers was a CIA agent who was thought to have impersonated Lee Harvey Oswald in Mexico city. And along with Charles Harrelson was one of the two shooters involved in the assassination of president Kennedy. Now the authors contend that Rogers Harrelson and Chauncey Holt were the quote, three tramps, end quote, arrested in Daly 
Plaza after the assassination and that Rogers murdered his parents because his mother was tracking his many telephone calls. Now, I am not going to get into all conspiracy theories involved with the JFK assassination. Like, that is another episode. To be honest, I think that's probably a completely different podcast. Yeah. And it's not somewhere I'm going to go. Um, so for those of you who have interest in that, great. Go down that rabbit hole by all means. But we're not going to go down that rabbit hole um, this episode. It's just kind of an interesting turn that this took. So... In this account, in the book, uh, Charles fled to Guatemala and Publishers Weekly reviewed the book stating, quote, the authors do a workmanlike job with their thesis, but the degree of poetic license in terms of reconstructed dialogue and attributed thought seems excessive here and sourcing is virtually non-existent. Assassination buffs, however, will welcome the book for its novelty value and its easy readability, end quote. So again, take with that what you will there's it can't really be substantiated because there's not a lot of sourcing in the material there's not a lot of references for where they pull that information from sounds just like a theory to me so getting back to the case in 1975 a houston judge declared rogers legally dead so his estate could be probated and what that means is basically i mean he's been missing for such a long time that they need to divvy up his estate um so they declare him legally dead so the case still remains officially unsolved and charles remains the only suspect houston forensic accountant hugh gardner and his wife martha which we spoke about earlier they have continued to investigate the case and they conclude that rogers did murder his parents and was later killed in honduras so while they have dismissed the john r craig and philip a rogers claim that uh, he was a CIA operative due to a lack of evidence, essentially. They do admit that Rogers did have dealings with contract workers for the CIA when he worked as a seismologist, which, I mean, he's a pretty smart guy. So, and like pretty high profile job that he had there. So I wouldn't be surprised if he did have those run-ins, right? Mm-hmm. So the house in which the murders took place was located at 1815 Driscoll Street, as I said at the beginning of this case. And after the murders, the house remained empty and unsold. It was torn down in 1972, and the lot remained empty until 2000 when condominiums were built on the lot. Ooh, spooky. Yeah, so... Go check out those condos. <laughs> I was just gonna say that. I was like, let's go ghost hunting, right? <laughs> True crime trip will stop. Yeah, that would be great. Well, guys, like I said, that was a bit of a shorter episode. Um, very interesting case. So, like, it, it definitely piqued my interest. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's never a bad thing just to have a quick little case mm-hmm. for our listeners to to pop on when they're you know oot a boot. So well, and Christy, thank you so much for putting that together, even when you weren't feeling all that great. I appreciate it. I know our listeners probably appreciate it because they love having our our episodes come out when we say they're going to come out. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, we'll just call it a little mini sewed. Mini sewed, yeah, yes. yeah. Imagine that he didn't do it though, and somebody just had gotten away with this brutal murder, like. 
Well, either way, somebody's gotten away with it, you know? You're true, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But, I, I can't. Wow. Unbelievable. I really mm-hmm. want to, I want to look up the, the, where the condos are now. Yeah. That's, I, that's, that kind of stuff interests me too. For I love sure. going on ghost walks and, and whatnot and learning about the history anytime I go someplace new. I did one in Newfoundland once. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely still, Minnesota or not, we'll have some uh, photos posted on our socials. So um, you guys can take a look at those haunting photos, um, you guys and our listeners. But um, thanks so much for joining us um, when, you know, I don't know, percentage is 90% of us are sick. <laughs> yeah, it would be 66.66. Yeah, 66% of us are sick. <laughs> And, I can still do math. My right. brain hasn't gone to COVID completely yet. Yeah, that's good. Well, um, thanks again to our listeners. And as always, you can catch us on our socials. We are on TikTok at Homebrew Murder Crew. We are on Instagram at Homebrew Murder Crew. And we are on Facebook at Homebrew Murder Crew. You can also email us at homebrewmurdercrew at gmail.com. Feel free to email us any feedback or any cases that you would like us to cover. And you guys, clean out your fridges and don't put weird shit in there. Yeah, and that little section is for heads of lettuce, not heads of people. Right. Important lesson there tonight. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.